James chapter four. It's right after Hebrews. It's the book that almost didn't make it. It's the little engine that could, but it made it. It's got some real good wisdom for us. We're gonna read one line and then we're just gonna go for it. Would that be all right? Come on, the book of James. If you like favoritism, skip the first few chapters. It's got a lot to say. But we're not talking about favoritism today, which is good because we're all God's favorite. And we are talking about being in living in rhythms of God's presence, being people who practice God's presence, becoming a people who are known by, marked by, living in the presence of God. And so here it is, James 4, 8. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Draw near to God. God will draw near to you. And I love this. In the message, Eugene Peterson says it like this. What a beautiful way. Say a quiet yes to God and he will be there in no time. A quiet yes. I love that. Like a whisper, just like a nudge of your heart. Turn towards God and God will be there in no time. And so we're in this rhythms series and today the rhythm that we wanna talk about is practicing the presence of God. And so my hope in the next few minutes is to unpack why would we even want to be a people who practice the presence of God? And then hopefully maybe talk a little bit about how we can practice the presence of God. It's helpful to know something Uh, that our life is called to and invited to, to know the shape of the life we can have, right? To have some direction, a compass. And it's helpful to know how to participate in that. So hopefully I can be helpful along those regards. And so the first statement though that I wanna make is this, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Why is this important? It's important because we were created, and we say this here a lot and we're gonna keep on saying it because I think the whole of our lives can be rooted and grounded in similar principles to this, that we were created, we were made, God designed us, like this isn't a divine experiment. Your life and my life and our life is a divine expression of love. We were created to be in God's presence. We were created to live connected to God. We were made to dance with God. The New Testament writers called it perichoresis. It's a fancy word for the divine dance of love. When the writers of the New Testament, like Paul, tried to describe what does it mean for God to be caught up in God's self? And then for us as humans to be invited into through Christ, caught up into that very same thing, they would use this word perichoresis, which just means to dance, right? You were made to dance with God, to laugh with God, to delight in and be delighted in with God and by God. That from the garden of Genesis, where human walked in the cool of the day with God, relationship, to the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus himself and the most anxiety-ridden moment of his life, sweating blood, 
is in the place of prayer in the garden. Relationship, because relationship isn't just, and the dance isn't just the good stuff. It's all the stuff. And this is even the point of the writer John as, we, as, as you think about highlighting that garden of Gethsemane, that yes, garden of Genesis, cool of the day, friendship with God, walking with God, and in the hardest moment of your life, in the darkest moment of your life, in the most challenging moment of your life, in the most abandoned feeling moment of your life, even there made to be in the presence of God and in relationship to God. And God is not afraid of that. And so from Genesis to Gethsemane to the garden city in Revelation, the behold, all things made new, shalom moment of creation, the world as it should be, our lives healed and whole in relationship with God from beginning to end, made to be in God's presence. Relationship with God, friendship with God. In fact, I would submit that the most human way to live is to live a life in relationship to God. Anything less is to live less than human. In fact, have you ever heard this? Like when someone messes up, well, or, or you know, it's like, well, I'm only human. Well, yeah, I mean, messing up is a part of the human experience, the experience because we're wounded and we live in, the in a world that's suffering the consequences of sin and death. And so we live in that environment, in a world that's fractured, and we too have our woundings and the ways they sort of manifest themselves in our life. And so, right, like I get it, there's, there's a grain of truth in that, that when we sort of miss the mark, if you will, that yes, that's a part of the human experience. But it's a reductionistic view of the human experience. Because the writer, the apostle Peter said it like this, you've been given everything you need to participate in the divine nature, to live a life of godliness. In other words, everything you need, you have to live in relationship with and in presence of God as a human. And so the great invitation of humanity is that we live in connection to and relationship with God. In fact, Jesus is called the human one, isn't he? This is a term that was used for him, son of David, right? Like human one. It's important. Jesus didn't miss the mark. What marked Jesus' life? That he lived in unbroken communion with God, in the presence of God. The dove descends and it never ascends. He lives an unbroken life in the spirit. He lives in an ever sort of manifesting revelation of the love of God that's on his life. And is Jesus the model? Is Jesus the one that we look at and go, what does it mean for me to be human? And what does it mean for me to live a full and flourishing and whole life? Is it Jesus? And if it is, then the invitation for us too is to live in the unshakable, unbreakable can't separate it from us, Romans 8, love and presence of God. Amen? Are you with me? And so the misnomer here that I want to clear up because 
if we're going to be a people who practice the presence of God and live in the presence of God, then we've got to renew our minds a little bit. Would it be okay if I offer something for us to renew our minds just, just a little? And you've heard me say this a million times, but I, I'm kind of like a coach at heart, and so I'm just a person that says the same stuff over and over and over again. It's just, you know, like keep doing the easy, the basic, you know. Here's the misnomer. We live as if God is far. But the truth is, God is near. In fact, St. Teresa of Avila, one of the great teachers of prayer in the history of the church, said it this way, the greatest obstacle to a prayer life is praying as if God is distant. You see, not only are we designed to live in the presence of God, but God is near. But in our minds, we have made God far. And we've got to allow our minds to be renewed with the truth of God's word, which is I'm near. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Why? Because God's near. God is in the room. God is present. God is here. In the best and worst moments of your life, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Say a quiet yes, and God will be there in no time. Now, I understand we don't always feel it, and our emotions are important, and emotional intelligence is trending, and I'm here for that. Pastoral care pastor, love to unpack our emotions. And most of us have spent a whole lot of our religious life spiritually bypassing all the hard emotions that we don't wanna feel or have been told that we can't feel, but God's in that stuff. And so we need to feel it, we need to be able to name it, and we need to be able to manage it. And here's the thing, because if we don't name it, we can't manage it, and it will manage us. So I'm here for us doing that work. And this isn't a talk on the emotional life, but I, I would say this. Here's the other thing we know about emotion. Emotions come with stories. They're not lived in a vacuum. So when you feel something, that feeling is telling you a story about you and your life. And so many of us have feelings about God that are telling us a story about God that's sort of like a rough first draft that we need to erase. Because so often what our feel, the, way, the story our feelings is communicating to us is that God is near and distant because of A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z. The thing you've done or haven't done. The person you are or aren't or want to be or should be or ought to be, right? All the shoulds and oughts and the pressures of life and people and social media and all those things, the way stories are put onto us from friends and family and teachers and coaches and strangers and media, right? And all of that, we're feeling things about it and it's telling us a story. And so often the story that we let ourselves live in is that I am far from distant from God and there's nothing that can bridge this gap. But what I would submit to us is that God is near. And that if we're going to be a people who practice the presence of God, then yeah, let's do our internal emotional work so that we can manage it in a way that when we feel those feelings, that guilt and that shame and that fear and all the other nuanced words that we can put to all the other nuanced things that we feel in the experiences of our lives, that what we can do is we can manage it in such a way that we can go, yes, I'm feeling that and God is here in it. 
God is walking alongside of me and with me as I process and feel whatever it is I'm feeling. That God is renewing my mind and redeeming my story. That God is healing the place of wounding and trauma in my life. Are we here for that? And so we were made and created to be in the presence of God. And God is near. By the way, I think God is near is good news for some of us and absolutely terrifying for some of us. And so if you're someone here who is going, man, that, that sounds not awesome, actually. I don't need the mean-spirited dad that's gonna thump me and punish me and abandon me and reject me and scream at me and tell me how awful I am and how much of a worm I am. And then they're gonna proof text it with Bible verses, right? Like, I wanna say I get it. And it's okay that you're in that place. Get a coffee with me, I'd love to process it with you. Or get a coffee with Caroline, she'd love to process it with you. And, and, the invitation, the nudge I would wanna get us is could we let that narrative go? Could we trust again that God is better than we've been told or have thought? Could we risk again? And I know it's hard to risk. It's, it's really vulnerable. It's like anything, you know. It's like we've all been hurt in community, which is, which is why community is really risky for us to step back into. And the worse you've been hurt, the riskier it is. And yet the healing we desire is actually back in the place of healthy community. And so that's kind of the way this works too. Like, I get it. It's really risky. It's really vulnerable. The pain and the hurt and the wounding is really real and it's valid. It is. And you can put up boundaries with all the folks who tell you otherwise. And, and, and. God is near. Near enough to speak life and healing and wholeness to all those places. Amen? So what I, what I wanna do is... Um, is I wanna talk about some ways maybe we can just pick up the practice of living in God's presence because I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe that would be helpful. Would that be okay? Sam Breen is gonna love this. I used alliteration today. So if he falls out in the spirit, um, that's just his own special anointing. I know I almost didn't do it because I, I just didn't want Sam to be, have that big of a, I'm just kidding. I love Sam's big smile. But I, want, I, have, I have three words for us that I think can be helpful to keep in mind as a compass to living in ways that we're living in God's presence, living as if God is near. Attention, affection, and authenticity. You like that? Is that good? I'm just gonna talk to Sam. He's the only one talking to me. But I'm just gonna... Uh, which isn't untrue. If you talk back to me, I'll, I'll probably just talk to you. Um, I have no idea what I was talking about. Attention, 
affection, authenticity as ways we can attune ourselves to the presence of God. And so attention, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And so the question here is, what are we giving our attention to? What are we consistently giving our attention to? Like what has our eyes? It could be something real on purpose. You know, you can be distracted by things on purpose. And it could be a whole bunch of accidental things because we're just checking out from life or at least our faith. But what are we giving our attention to? Because Jesus is near and in the room. I mean, have you ever experienced this, right? Where you're in a room with someone. Like you can be in a room with your friend, with your roommate, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your spouse, with your parent, your kids. You can be in a room with them and be totally disconnected. You can be in a room with someone. You can be as near to a person as the person you're sitting to in this pew and be entirely disconnected. They can have none of your attention. And so what are we giving our attention to? And have you ever had one of those moments though where you're in a room with someone and the moment you turn your attention towards them, the energy between you changes, doesn't it? You feel the connection. I mean, this happens all the time in the simplest of ways. Yesterday morning, this happened to me. Saturday mornings in my house, Premier League mornings, come on. Kicked off yesterday. That's, that's some soccer for those of you that don't know. And I like to have my coffee and whatever game is on at like 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11, 3. But I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm having my coffee and there's a, game, there's a game on in the background and my family's in the room with me, right? But my attention is not on my family. My attention is on the game. And then suddenly my wife goes, we have this little... Uh, we have this bird feeder outside of our living room window, a hummingbird feeder. We, we love hummingbirds. And there were five hummingbirds together around this feeder, which is, we think is really cool. You don't have to think it's cool. We just thought it was really cool. <laughs> but this really beautiful, amazing thing is happening, but I'm, I'm watching this game, which isn't even my favorite team, so I kind of don't even care. And then my wife goes, oh my gosh, look, there's five hummingbirds outside the window. And in that moment, I turn, right, my attention to my wife and to what she's looking at. And now we're connected together. And what happens in my heart, if I'm paying attention, that I feel an energy and a connection in that moment to my wife that I did not feel or experience when I was just watching the game. Are you tracking like attention shifts the energy of our heart. Now here's a really cool thing. My wife has this little language for it and we, she likes to remind me of this and we remind each other of this and it, it's a really good practice for us nearly 15 years into marriage. 
And often she'll say, thanks, if, if I pay attention, if I turn, I don't always turn. Sometimes I'm like, hold on, because I'm watching the game, you know. But if, if I turn and I enter into that with her, attuning myself with my attention to her and what she sees, she'll be like, hey, thanks for responding to my bid for love. You see, bids for love are in the small things of life. Yes, you can lose trust in moments with real big mistakes. You really can. We all know that. But in most relationships, friendships, marriages, parenting, trust is earned and eroded over time in small moments of giving attention to bids for love. It's when you wake up 10 or 15 years and you go, my parents have never seen me, right? Like you're a teenager and you're just going, my parents have never seen me. I've been making bids for love my whole life in my own way and they've never seen me. And I know some of us have that story. Or you wake up five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years into a marriage and you go, I'm done. This person has never seen me because I've made small bids for love every day for 10, 15, 20 years and they've never responded. And you think you're doing okay because you remember birthdays, but it's in the small moments. And so I think it's similar with God. What's the small daily moment, the small daily practice we can do to just turn our attention to God's bid for love? That if God is near, how do we turn our head and see God who is near and close? And how can we live in a way that not only do we see God's face, but we see who and what God's face is turned toward? Because God might be looking at the hummingbirds too, and sometimes God is. In fact, you know, when he called Jeremiah, the first thing he said is like, what do you see? I see a tree with like an acorn. It's like a real good spiritual test. Do you just like see what God sees when God asks you to look at something? Because God's looking at things and God's looking at you and so how do we turn our head towards that? I wanna give one basic practice to that. Would that be okay? This is gonna be, this is gonna be so simple. Y'all are gonna roll your eyes. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read it. I know it's fallen a little bit out of fashion, actually. Read your Bible consistently. Pick up a habit, a practice of reading the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because they change our attention. It changes what we see and how we see it. It gives us a language for how God is looking at us and our neighbor. It wakes us up from our slumber. It brings peace to our anxiety, courage to our fear, life to our death. 
It does. In fact, I was in our office this week. Uh, as a staff, we were praying for some people. And I love this. Uh, one of our pastors was praying for this person. And as they were praying and giving an encouragement, they, they started speaking and encouraging out of this verse in Thessalonians which is really random. Like, no one reads Thessalonians. You know you don't. But what I love about this is I know this pastor's daily, no matter what, Bible reading plan. It's not the only time they read the Bible or the only time they study the Bible, but it's like they're no matter what. I'm gonna read this 15 minute a day. It's the Moravian daily text, by the way, so it's a good one. And that was the reading in that text for the day. And so what does this text do? By reading that text, by turning this pastor, by turning his attention from whatever else he could give his attention to that day, immersing himself into the scriptures, it then imparted to him an ability to see something that was happening in someone else's life and have language to pray and encourage towards that end. Are you tracking? Are you with me? I know it's so basic, but it's powerful. It's powerful, right? It's like low-level zone two cardio. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what zone two cardio is. But I heard you're supposed to base most of your cardio on it. If you do that kind of stuff, Caroline. So zone two, stay in it. And I want to say this. Like, I understand about... All right. I know the Bible and the way some of you experienced it is that it's been wielded as a weapon to harm you, to oppress you, to gaslight you, to wound you, to destroy you, to make fun of you, to make you feel guilt and fear and shame in areas of your life where God would have freedom and boldness and authenticity. Like I know, and, we can, and I'm so familiar, we can look at the history of the church and of the world and we can name all the ways that people in the name of scriptures have done horrific evil in the name of our sacred text. And those feelings, that experience is so valid. And it is so not okay that that's been some of y'all's experience. And that's been part of my experience. And it's not okay that different people groups throughout the history of the world have had to suffer under the boot of oppressive people motivated by scripture in misapplied and misunderstood ways. So we don't need to shy from that. We don't need to hide from that. We don't need to minimize the pain of that. We don't need to gaslight the folks who are giving voice to that. We can welcome that within our community of faith. It's okay. You can bring that story here and you can bring that experience here. And there will be room for you, I hope. I can't, I can't speak for every experience you're gonna have at Grace Midtown. 
but I hope for whatever part I have in it and this pastoral team has in it that you would have room to bring that relationship with the scriptures here. And you will be met with compassion and tenderness at every turn. And the most healing words in my life, and I love it in Acts, it says we cannot help but talk about what we have seen and heard. So the only credible story I can speak from is my own. So as someone who's been deeply wounded by people wielding the text as a weapon, I would wanna stand here and say that the most healing words in my life have been the words found in this library. That it's been the words on these pages that have transformed me and renewed my mind in ways that in the best and worst moments of my life, I am learning to turn my attention to the God who is near and to see myself and others in the world the way God sees me and others in the world. I know it's been wielded at times and in places to bring death. However, it is a book of life. And so my invitation to you is, would you risk again to read those words and perhaps find nourishment in them? And if you can't, it's okay. I get it, some of us can't. I mean, I've sat in rooms with people that can't open this text. They've been so traumatized by their parents that to open this triggers some stuff and they've gotta do some other work before they can. So if that's you, I'm here, I get it, it's okay. And if you're able, could you again, I know it got heavy for a minute. Could you again open these words and allow, and allow them to be the gift of life? Attention, could we turn again to the scriptures? Affection, affection, because the hummingbirds again, right? Earlier this week, I, I was taking my boys to school and they got out to the car before I did. And so then I was coming out to the car and I see my oldest Simon as I'm coming, he kind of gives me the like, you know, the, and you just sort of know through the body language, it's like the stop and slow down and look, which by the way, if you're gonna give your attention, it means we might have to slow down a little bit. But when we slow down, we can enter into the place of affection. What do I mean? And so. Again, Simon gives this bid for love. He, he tells me to slow down because he doesn't want me to startle the hummingbird that's landed on a branch next to our car. Because you see, we've seen them flying around the feeder, but we've not, we've not seen them feel so safe as to just land on a branch. And Simon is seeing this, and he wants me to slow down to not disturb the bird, right? which by the way, part of me giving Simon attention and seeing him is to slow down. And then when I can see what he sees through slowing down and giving my attention to him, I can move into the place of affection because it's a bid for love. And so I can begin to interact with him along those lines, asking him questions about 
what that means to him and oh my gosh, that's so beautiful and I know that's amazing, that's so peaceful and all those things, right? And so it's the same thing here with God that when we slow down and give our attention to God, we can enter into the place of affection, that we can allow our heart to move towards God, not, not just the attention of our eyes, but, but the, the beating of our heart, right? And isn't that the energy that if we lean into it is exchanged through attention, it's affection. When I turn to see my kids, when I turn to see my wife, when you turn to see your roommate or your friend or your child, it can be, if you will allow it, an exercise in affection. And we do that every Sunday here, don't we? Like we did that this morning. There's been such a sweet worship time in in Grace Midtown over this summer. I just experienced it so deeply again this morning that as we come in and give attention, not to a band or a person like me with a microphone, but as we give our attention to the one who's seated above all things, holy, holy, and worthy of all our praise, as we give that Jesus our attention, we slow down right on a Sunday morning and give that Jesus our attention and and allow the affection of our heart to connect to his bid for love, right? The energy in the room is different. It's the presence of God. It is. God's everywhere. Omniscience. And when our attention and our affection moves towards God and you feel that kind of energy in the room, God's presence is manifest. The felt presence of God. And isn't that beautiful and wonderful? Affection. And then authenticity. And I'm flying through these because I want to wrap this up. Authenticity. Because if we were going to give our if we're going to give attention and we're going to give affection, here's here's the thing. Any of you that have been in a real meaningful relationship, again, whether it's with a friend, a roommate, a parent, a spouse, know this. If you can't bring your full self, those other two don't matter. They won't sustain it. Attention matters, affection matters, but without authenticity, they will not sustain the relationship. And what I mean by authenticity is, is there room for you to bring your full self to the moment, in that moment, however it is you are experiencing that moment? Because if we're gonna be people, and this is why I said from the the Genesis garden to Gethsemane, because Gethsemane is authenticity. God, if there's another way Right? The one who said this, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Gave us a model for prayer, goes into specificity in the garden. He's modeling how to pray the prayer of authenticity and specificity. God, I recognize your will, but if there's another way, how many of you have prayed that prayer? God, if there's another way to be this, to do this, to get there. God, where are you? authenticity. And authenticity isn't just grief or lament. Authenticity is joy and gratitude. Because some of us live in communities and families 
and environments where it's okay to grieve and lament, but the moment you get excited or have gratitude, people look at you like you're skipping out on life. And I wanna say that joy and gratitude are as deep and as meaningful as grief and lament, and we need them all. Authenticity. The band can come. And so as the band comes, what I, what I wanna do is maybe just say, we're made to be in God's presence. God is near and not far. We can turn our attention to God. We can turn our affection to God. We can bring our authentic selves to God. And we don't need a quiet place in the desert to do it. You can do it in the noise and in the busyness of Atlanta. And I know some of us are in really noisy and really busy seasons. And that means that our life in relation to God maybe looks different than it ever has. And even in the noise and busyness of our lives, we can turn our attention, our affection, and express our authenticity to God. We can. Brother Lawrence wrote a whole book about this in like 1300, and people have been reading it ever since. Practicing the presence of God. And so I don't know what your busy or noisy moment is. Maybe it is washing the dishes. Maybe it's laundry. Maybe it's mowing the lawn. Maybe it's all the studying you're doing in your post-grad program. Maybe it's all the work you're doing extra to, to have the income for that house or, or to provide for your family or to get that project done for your teammates. I, maybe it's hours in a car for commuting but there's a lot of noise and a lot of busyness. And what I would offer to us is the simplicity of, I wonder if at the sink, when we're washing dishes, when it's all piled up and there's all the noise of kids or just imagine whatever your noise is and they're tugging and they're asking for more and there's all the things to get done. I wonder if for a moment our attention could go to God. I see you. You're here with me in the noise. You're here with me in the mess. You're here with me in the chores, in the noise, in the busyness. You're here with me in the demands of life that are overwhelming. It's more than any human should be asked to bear. And you are here with me and you get it because you had to bear more than any human should have ever been asked to bear. So much so that you needed someone else to carry your cross with you, just like I need you right now to help me carry this burden I'm carrying in this moment. Attention, affection. And God, I know you love me and I love you. And I need to be in your presence right now at this sink, in this laundry room, in this car, in this library, in this work meeting. I need to feel my heart connected to your heart because you are with me and for me. You promised, you said that your love and closeness is unshakable, that nothing, not a work project, not my own kids, not the piling up dishes can separate me from the love of God. 
that I don't need to be a desert father or mother to experience the unending depths of God's love that I can be in my living room and I can be in my kitchen, I can be stuck in traffic and experience the presence of God. You're the giver of good gifts. I thank you for my life, right? Affection, authenticity. It's been weaving in and out of that prayer, but this is hard. It's overwhelming. I need help. I don't know where you are. I have a headache. I need a break. I need my spouse to do the dishes sometimes. I need my roommates to do the dishes sometimes. I need it to be okay not to do the laundry. I need the anxiety that I feel to perform in this class, on this work project, to release. sweating blood. Authenticity. And I believe it's that kind of prayer, that kind of attention, that kind of affection, that type of authenticity that cultivates an atmosphere in every area of our life where we can live in the presence of God. Amen.